Cindy Cantrell with Compassionate Journeys, conversations about home care and hospice. Today we're speaking with David Zoffoli, who volunteers at Merrimack Valley Hospice in three different ways. He's part of the Keepsake Program, which makes memory bears and pillows from clothing of the deceased. He offers a weekly 20-minute virtual calm breathing session. And he co-facilitates a support group for anyone in the LGBTQ community who has experienced a loss. The group meets on Zoom every other Tuesday night from 5.30 to 7. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Cindy, for having me. Now, David, I remember that you were introduced to Merrimack Valley Hospice um, through your late husband, Steve. And I was hoping that you wouldn't mind, please, sharing a little bit about Steve um, for those of us who weren't fortunate to know him. Thank you. I, I'd be happy to. Uh, Steve uh, made me laugh every day. Uh, in fact, he put those into his wedding vows uh, when we got married. Mm. Uh, and he, he, uh, he brought it every single day. Uh, he loved to ride motorcycles. And he was a snap-on tool dealer for uh, most of his professional life. Uh, he began uh, shooting photographs uh, and worked as a volunteer with the Merrimack Valley Camera Club mm. uh, in North Andover. And uh, he brought people on field trips, and uh, everyone loved him because he was a funny guy in the room. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I miss him every day. Yeah. I talk to him every day, mm -hmm. and I, uh, I don't think that will ever change. What did he like to photograph most? Uh, well, I was, you know, uh, he loved portraiture. Mm. He loved taking pictures of people. And I was always the guinea pig, and I had way <laughs> too many bad pictures of myself. Um, uh, but he also liked architectural photography, uh, and like most um, photography geeks, he was—you uh, know—he loved nature. He loved, mm -hmm. uh, you know, flora and fauna, and to to capture a bird in flight. You know, this was this was uh, a passion for for many photographers that he was friendly with so so yeah yeah um i know that you donated a frame photograph taken by steve to our merrimack valley hospice fundraiser and i was curious if you wouldn't mind sharing what it was about your and steve's experience at our high point hospice house that led you to make such a generous donation um, and then get involved as a volunteer that's an easy one. Um, Merrimack Valley Hospice uh, came into our lives about a month before Steve died. Mm -hmm. And the customer service before and after his death for both of us uh, was stellar. Um, it was um, something that we looked forward to every week. Uh, I learned from a hospice nurse how to do the important medical things mm -hmm. and all of that. But we also took advantage of um, free massages and free yeah. Reiki and uh, and then after he died I was in bereavement counseling for a year um, with the intention of volunteering at the end of that year that was kind of like a you know a rule uh, uh, to make sure that I got through all the the first anniversaries of everything yeah um, and so the day after um, I may, you know, the day after one year, I made my first memory bear, which I could do without lots of volunteer training. 
Well, now I've been trained in bereavement, and I, I feel like I should have a PhD in bereavement yeah. uh, because it's it, the training is so thorough, yeah. and um, uh, and the people are just so nice. I, you know, I say if uh, if I went back to work, I wouldn't have time to volunteer. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I I try to get more people involved in any way that I can um, to give back. Uh, to Merrimack Valley Hospice uh, because it's just a wonderful organization. So the day after, so basically the day you were eligible, you did it. That's remarkable yeah. to me. What was it that drove you? What was it that was so important to you to do it? Because so many people have such good intentions, but are, are overwhelmed or so busy with life, you know, but you, you really followed through. Well, you know, that's what I, play on TV, you know, <laughs> Mr. Follow Up, yeah. Mr. Follow Through, and um, uh, and I promised my husband oh. uh, that I would give back specifically to the Home Health Foundation in whatever way I could. Um, I, I have a, a master's degree in curriculum design, and so I've done a lot of programming mm. uh, and event planning in my life, mm -hmm. and so I came out of the gate with maybe too many program programming suggestions uh, because Eric Redard, the, the volunteer manager, just didn't like, okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so I, um, but he said, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. And um, so eventually I was properly trained and I said, well, you know, I've also, you know, taught um, calm breathing. That's what they call it anyway. Um, it really is actor training because I taught, uh, acting for many years as well and uh, so it's about breathing deeply and he said oh I think that'll be perfect so we have a volunteer weekly volunteer uh, support group mm -hmm. that has been going on for over a year now and shortly after that started I said how about some you know breathing let's do some breathing together and so we have you know volunteers we have staff members I've opened it up to some friends and uh, and I think Eric can tell us if uh, if it's available to to uh, to the general public, which I think it probably is. I've done it myself. It's it's tremendous, and I think anybody who's gone through this pandemic can use that exact program or something very much like it. Um, I know it's yeah. been tremendously successful with our staff. Thank you very much for offering it. It's my pleasure, and you know it's twenty minutes out of the week, mm. and it's like takeaway. You can do these exercises as often as you need them. Yeah. And for anyone who works at a at a computer especially, should take a break every single hour and mm -hmm. walk around and if you take a few breaths, you know, all the better. Mm. And I'd like to please know more about the keepsake program because I've seen the bears, but I don't know exactly what goes into the program or the requirements um, or really what it entails. Well, the uh, the keepsake program is uh, is providing some kind of tactile uh, product mm. uh, from the clothing of the deceased. And so I've made pillows, I've made small quilts, I've made mm. uh, a number of memory bears. And uh, and it really, if you have skill uh, as a sewer, uh, then you can participate from that end. For anyone who has lost someone. Uh, they can get in touch with uh, Eric Redard, uh, and he'll, you know, take the clothing pre-washed 
and pass it on to me or to a number of other volunteers. Uh, so we never actually meet the bereaved. We oh. uh, we work in our studios, um, but it's uh, uh, it's available to to anybody. And I really thought that the the program would get a little more robust considering the pandemic. But I think just the opposite has happened. Oh. You know, people are a little afraid about going out, and oh. you know, so. Uh, uh, but we're, you know, we're all dealing with it and, um, I'm double vaccinated. I am too. Luckily, this is my first, uh, podcast without a mask. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to know more about, uh, the LGBTQ support group that you facilitate with our social worker on staff, Kara Cheek. Um, and I understand that it's a facilitator led support group rather than group led. Um, I'd love to please know the distinction and if you could share some of the topics. Sure. Um, and so it's a Zoom meeting every other week. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think Zoom or video conferencing is going to go away. Um, I think it's convenient for a lot of people. And I think that people uh, who are grieving, uh, it's a little bit easier uh, than having to drive somewhere, park, uh, and, um, you know, and, and sit in a room with people. Yeah. Uh, it's more of a commitment. Uh, but with a video conference, it's, uh, it's easier to participate. So a, a facilitator led group versus a, um, a group led group, uh, has a little bit more focus to it. And we don't have topics per se, uh, that we kind of roll out. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we are, Kara and I are developing an understanding that LGBT grief, uh, like the community, um, it can be marginalized mm. uh, in a way that brings up, you know, old wounds. And especially, you know, people who are in my generation, we remember a time when you had to be in the closet. Mm. Uh, and it's completely different now for anyone who is is coming out and... So many of our uh, participants are older people because their spouse or partner um, uh, was old yeah. and died. And so uh, in, when a, with a group-led group, um, it's a little catch-as-catch-can. And sometimes, you know, people can take over the group yeah. and, uh, and hijack you know, the group, uh, and I've facilitated a number of different kinds of groups. And I find that if there is a leader to the group, it will give focus and therefore the participants, um, more takeaway. Yeah. Uh, I can see how so, that would happen and I can see how it would be very well intentioned. Um, but that it, it could be very common. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, uh, it's only an hour and a half mm -hmm. and, uh, every other week. And so we want to make good use of the time, mm. um, without it becoming too, um, off, tra off topic sure. or off track. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to get too personal, but I know that you mentioned, um, you know, um, personal experience in the past with me with other groups. Um, I'd love to know why facilitating this group was important to you because as you, you're involved in so many things, you're volunteering in so many different ways. You know, 
but I, I feel like you are the best person for this. Um, I, you know, unfortunately, because of your personal experience, but also because of your personal experience. Um, no, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And that's exactly why I wanted to participate. Um, because I lost a spouse of 20 years. And because that, that grief is not going to go away, yeah. um, I, I thought that I might share something of my own experience mm-hmm. um, with the group uh, for their benefit. And apparently that's true uh, because the, uh, the people who have participated so far um, know what they're feeling. Mm. Um, and can speak to, you know, really nitty-gritty stuff about the grieving process. And so, for example, in the uh, the first year uh, after Steve died, I I was numb. I was numb for uh, a long, many, many, many months. I mean, physically numb Mm -hmm. and emotionally numb. And I didn't want to feel, basically, uh, because feeling just felt too big. And so uh, I, um, I read a couple of books and cried through every page about grieving um, and cried through every page. And it was a very dark winter that yeah. first year. And I thought, you know, as a teacher, I thought, I need to reflect on this, interpret it, assimilate the experience, and pass it on, uh, because that's that will be beneficial, I think. And so that's what I do. Do you find that there are many groups for the community? Do you feel like this is... Um that this is especially needed in the Merrimack Valley area? Um, Well, that's a a really good question. Um, It's not unique around the country. Yeah. Um, I I have a couple of friends, as a matter of fact, uh, who either facilitate or participate in two different groups in New York Hmm. and uh, someone in L.A. and Chicago. And so major metropolitan areas have this. Um, the Merrimack Valley, uh, not so much. Uh, and so when Kara asked me if I would co-facilitate because of my personal experience, um, I said, well, yeah. And because we're doing it on zoom, we can open it up to, you know, a a wider geography. Yes. Uh, And so that's how we will make it more robust, um, with the help of the marketing department and, uh, (laughs) Uh, and, and move forward with with something. We, we want to keep it r- reasonably small, you know, like under 30. Otherwise, it just gets a little, uh, and then we might have to uh, yeah. keep it to 10 or 15 and have two groups or something like that. Um, but it does include, you know, the gay, the non-binary mm-hmm. communities um, uh, who have experienced a loss because of the, the uniqueness of, the marginalization of those communities. And I think any disenfranchised community can relate to that. So I think of people of color, mm. you know, I think of, yeah. um, uh, you know, transgender people, uh, they, they, we live with that kind of marginalization. 
Um, and so to define that and frame that um, through words is a real step in the healing process. Is it okay for us to talk a little bit about some examples of marginalization without saying anything identifying, obviously? I know everything in these groups are protected, obviously. Um, but I'm hoping that this podcast can be used for educational purposes as well, so that maybe anybody who's listening to this could have maybe a firmer grasp on some of the, the things that people go through. Some of the things maybe that they don't even, haven't even considered are marginalizing or people have to just added ways to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. It does bring up, um, other losses. Hmm. Um, and it, of course it's been uh, magnified by the pandemic. So, you know, you, you're getting all this input. Um, I can speak from my experience without being too identifying. I think, <laughs> um, uh, I had to, uh, file a claim um, with the Social Security Administration for my my husband's death benefit. Mm -hmm. And it was just a couple of months after he died. And so I was in that numb place. There's a lot of yes. administration mm -hmm. that you have to go through when a spouse dies. And so I was doing all of that. Yeah. So I went to the office and um, I had an appointment and uh, I, I went to the window and uh, I to uh, told her my name and uh, she looked down on glasses, over glasses that she didn't, wasn't wearing and she said, you were married. Mm. And I said, yeah. And I thought, that was kind of weird, yeah. you know? And I waited two hours past my appointment time. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. Yeah. But it sure did feel like I was sitting in the back of a bus. Yeah. And so I, I thought this this can't be happening in 2018. Yeah. You know? But there it was. Um, another example is, um, uh, you know, one participant's partner uh, died and they weren't married. And but they lived in his his loved one's home for 50 years together. Oh. And when he died, um, his, his partner's family wouldn't recognize their relationship and and asked him to move out of the house. Oh, his home of 50 years, his home of 50 years. And so. You think about that happening, and that was 2000, I think, 19 or 20. Mm. Um, you know, you think about that kind of thing happening because of a an orientation, an LGBTQ orientation. It's like, wow, it's still happening? Yeah. Uh, and, and so because we come from a, a time when we remember closeting and... Um, and the only way to meet people was at a, uh, a bar and uh, it was, uh, you know, we share that history. And in sharing that history and all we've come through for yeah. equal rights, um, you know, they say, <laughs> you know, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm. 
and at some point you kind of say, I'm really strong enough, really. I don't need to be any stronger. Um, so I, I think that's one reason that the, the all-inclusive Merrimack Valley uh, Home Health Foundation and the hospice was just a, you know, a, a joy uh, because absolutely no judgment. Oh, I'm so relieved and glad. Yeah. Although I mean, it's it, what I've experienced too in, in terms of, you know, just equality all the way around. Please continue. Sorry. No, no, no. That's uh, it, it, this is a conversation, as you said. <laughs> uh, so, um, I'm I'm very grateful to uh, the foundation, uh, and I think that people who participate in the programs uh, that are offered free of charge, yeah, um, are, are very lucky, uh, and not enough people know about them. Uh, you know, and in, I live in Haverhill, and so there has been, uh, there was always, a, a, you know, good word, word on the street about High Point House. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started exploring that a few months before Steve passed. And, um, and I found them to be amazingly uh, ready, willing, and able um, to send people out uh, to the house or go into High Point House, whatever was needed. And uh, it it couldn't have been a better experience. Well, I'm glad to hear that. As hard as I'm sure everything was and still is, of course. Well, it does get marginally easier. Mm. Um, it's uh, I, I would say that uh, grief, uh, you know, of a lost loved one never goes away. Yeah. It's all we could. It's there's always going to be a void because you can't stop loving. Yeah. Right? Just because someone dies, you have to put that love somewhere. Yeah. And so I put it out to the universe, and I put it out to my husband, who yeah tells me he's received that love by. All right, now I'm going to get a little weird, but you know I listen to the birds, right? Oh my goodness, and I see the hawk come back every single day, and you know. You look for those kinds of signs yeah. um, uh, as a way to, you know, stabilize yourself. I did. Um, and th- I didn't realize it, but there are dragonflies, you know, images of dragonflies and sculptures of dragonflies everywhere around High Point House. And yes, I thought, What's I've noticed about? them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? They st- they're a symbol of a lost loved one. Mm. And so... My sister-in-law started collect after her brother died. Started collecting dragonflies and dragonfly everything, and she always, you know, sends me a text or a, a photo of you know a dragonfly that has entered her life, entered her life uh, in some way. And just this morning, um, she was on a walk with her grandson, and there was a a garden stake that had a dragonfly, and. and with the inscription, welcome, my friend. And it was laying down in her garden and it wasn't there the day before. And so I said, Steve was visiting you today. That's very sweet. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah you got to hold on to those things. And that's what I advise people to do. Find a sign that you can live with. Yeah. I think we've touched on this a little bit. Um, but one of my questions for you was your perspective on why it's so important to offer a group for the LGBT community um, and I, 
I think I'd also like to note that all of the Merrimack Valley Hospice support groups are free and open to the community and not limited to Merrimack Valley Hospice patients. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, uh, the LGBTQ community um, has a history of activism. Mm. And, uh, and you know, necessarily um, fighting for what they want, like equal rights. Yeah. And marriage equality. And, uh, and so there is among us... You know, there's a special something. Uh, I think, like any disenfranchised community, you get together and you have a shared history. You have a shared past. You have a just because of your sexual orientation. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's important to to have a group specifically for that community. Uh, I think it's helpful. Makes people feel a little more comfortable. Um, I was in a um a bereavement group for um uh with a, a lot of straight people uh yeah. and they didn't get it oh. um and it was it's just a feeling yeah but uh there's a lot of you know right after a death you get a lot of attention you know the day after the week after people bring over food and then somewhere around two weeks it all stops hmm. and you're suddenly left alone. Yeah. Uh, and so you turn to, to friends, you try to reach out to friends, but it's, it's not easy to reach out when you're grieving. Mm. Um, it's much easier to receive um, a call. Yeah. You know, people checking in and uh, you know, a lot of my friends who happen to be straight um, didn't check in. Uh, mm. and I mean colleagues, you know, and, and so it was, uh, you know, I don't mean to make such a sharp division there around sexual orientation, uh, but it, it, there is something to it. Mm. Um, there is something to it that makes, um, uh, makes me happy to be gay. Yeah. I also wonder too, if it's, I don't know, but I wonder too, if it isn't also some people just don't know what to say. And I know that I know we are still working on education piece in my communications department too. And in that, if you bring up somebody's passing, you're not going to hurt the person who's lost that loved one. You're not going to remind them that they've lost the loved one, that sometimes they'll want to talk about the person and, and, yeah. and so on. Um, even when my husband, he's lost his parents, this is in no way a comparison to you whatsoever. Um, but I know that I remember that point at which the call stopped and I remember yeah. it suddenly being very quiet and I remember it suddenly being a little extra lonely. And I know, I know that it wasn't intentioned at all, but I remember it suddenly being very odd. So I, again, I know this is not a comparison whatsoever, um, but I, I do, I do recognize that. And because of that, I try a little bit harder in my personal life to not do that. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Prizes to you again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> No, but um, well, you know what? I mean, grief is grief. Yeah. Um, regardless of of anything, um, grief is grief, mm -hmm. and uh, so anyone who has lost a loved one, and you could even get more specific and say anyone who has lost a spouse, yeah, or anyone who has lost a child, mm -hmm. 
share some mutual history, share some mutual experiences. Yeah. And so to call that out with a specific disenfranchised group yeah. um, uh, is a, you know, is a faster two steps forward. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, because there's shared history there and because you can just, you can basically be yourself. Yeah. Right. And not apologize for anything. Yeah. What was the photograph that Steve took that you donated to the fundraiser? Oh, that was, well, it was one of his favorites. It was uh, a photograph of uh, uh, Beacon Hill. Oh, Um, lovely. Some beautiful um, gorgons, you know. Yeah. uh, And uh, beautiful lighting. I mean, lighting is everything to photographers. And so uh, it was one of his favorites. And, you know, he won a lot of awards at the Merrimack Valley Camera Club for things. They had, like, awards every week or something, you yeah. know. Like, and uh, so I have this whole box filled with, you know, blue and yellow and red and orange, purple ribbons. And one thing that I did for Steve, he always wanted to be in a gallery. Mm. And so as a memorial service... I put together a, a show, a one-man show of his, his work. Oh. And it was, frankly, way too soon for me to do it. But he had so many friends and colleagues at work and, you know, at play. Uh, they needed a place. He was cremated. And so they needed a place to, and a time to grieve together and pay their respects. And, you know, I, I sent it out on social media. And I thought, all right, I'll plan for 50 you know, as far as food and all of that stuff goes, and over 150 people came, and I was just surprised. Well, not really surprised, but overwhelmed. And I didn't know half the people uh, that came, uh, but they were, he had made quite an impression. That is Uh, so touching. I'm glad you got that support. Yeah, it was, it was a very cool show. And so I, when we can have a silent auction again at the foundation, I still have, you know, a couple of prints to give them. That's so generous because those are things that you might, I don't know, you might want to selfishly hold on to. So for you to share those things, I, I think that's just remarkably generous. Well, I just think you're a cool guy all around. I admire you. Well, I, I think you're a cool girl. So um, mutual admiration society. And Lou, I think you're fabulous. No, thank you. And all three of us are right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you very much for your time and being here today with me and sharing all this information. Um, I also want to remind everyone that Merrimack Valley Hospice offers support groups for grieving spouses and partners, adults and children, all of which are free of charge and open to the public. To register and learn more, call 978-552-4510 or go to merrimackvalleyhospice.org. And thanks so much again. Thank you.